0: Good morning. Before we get too far along, I wanted to let you know that the, the vote from last week was uh, a, a very high majority for putting the piece of property on the market. Uh, if you want more details, find one of the elders and they can, they can fill you in on that. This is a very interesting Sunday for me every year, and I'm glad that the band is kind of wild and crazy today. Oh, you didn't think that was good? No, just <laughs> As you know, I grew up in the church, and my dad always had us prepared on Saturday nights. You always had your nice shirt and your tie. That's how you went to, to church. That's why I wear the tie. None of you need to do that. But Palm Sunday was also one of those Sundays for dad where it was party time. That's the way he approached it. And that's the way he tried to encourage his church to go as well. This is a huge day of recognizing a very important party. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you that there are so many wonderful things that you've done for us. Let us see again today from your word how majestic, how marvelous you are. And I thank you, Father God, that even during those times when it is so difficult for us because of hardship and pain, whatever we're involved with, you are consistent and you are good and great. Thank you for your word. Fill us, Father. Holy Spirit, change the way we think. Stir us up to be the people of God. In Christ's name, amen. So Mark has brought us to this incredible event that, that kind of ushers in the last week of Jesus' life. I'm going to read this passage, and then we're going, to, we're going to go through some things. Mark 11, beginning in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, "Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, 'Why are you doing this?' say, 'The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately.' And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, 'What are you doing, untying the colt?' And they told them what Jesus had said, and And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is a familiar story to anybody who's been in the church for very long, and there's a lot going on, and Mark kind of condenses it, and on the one hand, that's good, but if you put all four of the Gospels together, you've got this incredible, incredible event. And to help us to understand the importance of of really what all is happening, I started thinking about time. So we're going to take some time travel here because when we put this into the perspective of time, I think it, it helps us. Remember, God, we have to start, whenever we talk about time, God is sovereign, totally sovereign. He is the creator of everything, including time. And he does whatever he sees fit, in perfect time. He's got perfect timing. There's a reason and a purpose for everything. That's difficult for us. The timing of everything is in his control. He started time. So here's a definition of time that I really like. Duration characterized by changes in what one has or is. You can't, you can't separate change from time. Time and change go together. As time moves forward, we experience change. A variety of different ways that that happens. The interesting thing is that we know from Scripture, God does not change. So God is, is outside of time. He exists completely, totally outside of time. God can enter our time frame. He can enter into our timeline anytime he wants. And we have evidence that he does that. And the evidence of him entering into our timeline are those things that we call miracles and creation. Time began when God spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. A familiar measurement of time began when God set the, set the earth into motion around the sun evening and morning, the first day. That's a unit of time. God created that. So we have this idea of time. So I want us to think about some events in history, time, that have occurred at exactly the correct time. And these events all are pointing towards this week that we're beginning to celebrate Adam and Eve created when God chose to create them, allowing Satan into the garden, the expulsion from the garden, all of that, perfect timing, the expansion of the human race and the massive growth of horrendous sin. Now, God didn't create the sin, but he allowed it, and then perfectly timed a boat built in some guy's backyard, Noah, and then drops of rain, perfectly timed. At exactly the right moment, the ark comes to, to, to rest on, on solid ground. Further down the timeline, a ram is caught in a thicket on, the, on Mount Moriah at the perfect moment that ram is caught in the thicket. A young man is sold by his brothers at the precise moment for him to be taken to Egypt. The world is overcome by famine and, and Joseph, now in Egypt, he saves God's chosen people. At exactly the right time. Again, exactly on the right right morning. Exactly the right morning, the right one, an ark of reeds is placed in the Nile. At exactly the right time of the morning. So that the daughter of Pharaoh would discover it. Moses then, as a grown man, returns to Egypt at the perfect time to be the nation of Israel's deliverer. With perfect precision, the Red Sea parts... Millions of Hebrew people cross on dry ground. And then precisely at God's determined time, the waters rush back, drowning the Egyptian army. On the exact day in God's plan, Moses receives stone tablets written by God. On just the right day, a young boy becomes king of Israel. That same boy on exactly the right day calls upon God for strength and kills the giant. The giant killer's son builds a magnificent temple on Mount Moriah. Right time, right place. A young man is taken captive by the Babylonians, and and Daniel becomes a powerful prophet. Because the first temple was destroyed at exactly the right time, a second magnificent temple is built again on Mount Moriah. Time keeps moving. God is in control. A young girl is visited by an angel and then by the holy spirit and she becomes pregnant. Her fiance chooses not to have her stoned. All of that by precise timing. That boy grows and, and at the perfect time begins to amaze people with powerful teaching and and miracles. Jesus heals many people and tells his disciples to not tell people who he is. He's doing all these wonderful things, and his teaching is so incredible. But Don't tell anybody who I am. He carefully avoids crowds who were ready to make him king. Jesus heals a blind man in Jericho. Huge crowds of people followed Jesus. Everywhere he goes, it was the right time. Jesus comes to Bethany. He's with close friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Lazarus, there's another story of precise timing. Lazarus was a close friend of Jesus, and Jesus rose him from the dead. He was, he'd been dead for four days. Everyone is celebrating. So why are they celebrating? Jesus has come back to Bethany. He's with Lazarus. They're, they're celebrating two things, Jesus and Lazarus. Wouldn't that be amazing to be around somebody who was raised from the dead? All perfect timing. History has been set up. There have been repeated perfect timings. Bethany, Jesus is there perfectly at the right time. This little town, this little village, it's close to Jerusalem. Some think that maybe it's just kind of like maybe a neighborhood, but the fame of Jesus had extended everywhere. And many people had come from Jerusalem to Bethany, hoping to see Jesus and Lazarus. Some more timing is going on. And in our story from Mark, Jesus sends these two disciples to Bethphage to find the colt of a donkey timing is perfect. The timing is perfect. The animal is there. The disciples are there at exactly the right time. And the owner has no problem letting the disciples take that colt. Now, out here in the West, there was a time in the history of this part of the world where if you took somebody's colt that way, you'd just get shot. Yeah, sure, go take it. And not only that, but this always amazes me. This animal had never been ridden. Now, I don't know donkeys, but I know horses a little bit. You don't just sit on one that hasn't been ridden. Ridden? 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 rode, Whatever. Can we say rodeo here? (laughs) There's no problem. Jesus sits on the colt, and he begins to ride into Jerusalem. There's crowds that have been with him, and they're coming with Jesus from Bethany, And there's crowds coming out from Jerusalem to meet him. And they come together and they begin cheering. And they're they're putting coats and palm branches and other leafy vegetable plants all over the road. They're doing this whole thing in front of Jesus and the donkey. And this is a massive crowd. This is massive. They are everywhere. And they are joyfully shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna. Do you remember what Hosanna means? Hosanna means save now. So in in English, here's this humongous crowd of people shouting, Save us now! They're going crazy. It's wild, crazy wild. All in God's perfect time. This, This is taking place on precisely the day that God had planned. Jerusalem is bursting with Jews that have come to celebrate. This is the perfect time. Jesus wants to excite the largest number of people possible in this coming week. That's part of God's plan. This didn't just kind of happen. God planned this from the beginning. He knew this was going to happen. This was his plan. More than just being a proclamation of Jesus as king, Jesus wanted to aggravate the Jewish leaders. Have you ever ever stopped to think that through in the New Testament? you got the Romans, the conquerors of the world, cruel, cruel people who ruled the world. And Jesus didn't bother with them. But he aggravated the Jewish leaders constantly. There's a reason. And here we have this unfolding of this huge celebration, all by God's plan, because Jesus knew that they were going to be so angry. The the religious leaders were going to get so angry that they would crucify him. All part of the plan. They had to be pushed. Those leaders had to be pushed because really, there's several places I looked at this this week, the the leaders really didn't want to kill kill Jesus in Jerusalem, especially at this time, because those leaders were so afraid of the people. Their pride was involved. They didn't want Jerusalem packed with millions of people and crucify this extremely popular man, because the people would revolt. How crowded was this? Well, this will give you an idea. There are some records that are actually after this event. We're not sure of the timing, but there are some some archaeological things, some records that show us what was going on at a Passover. So that's what this time of year was. So this is a Passover in Jerusalem, and it's a record of how many lambs were slain at this particular Passover. And according to this ancient document, 265,500 lambs were slain. That's a lot of lamb. At Passover, if you go back and you look at the, the requirements and what it was for, Each lamb was a sacrifice for a family, not an individual, but for a family. So I just, you know, I'm not real good at math, so if I screwed this up, sorry. Let's say a family is five, just to say. That would mean that if 265,500 lambs were slain, that would mean that 1,327,500 people were in Jerusalem. In many of the sources that I looked at, that's conservative. We're talking about Jerusalem. Several million people. This is a huge crowd. Now, I'm not saying all of them were out there, but we're talking about a huge, huge crowd of people. So the Jewish leaders didn't want to stir those people up. That wouldn't work well for them. This perfect plan had to occur on schedule. That's part of this as well. Jesus came to die. He's he's coming in. He's he's being celebrated as the king. But what's on Jesus' mind is death. And the perfect time was when he was at the height of his popularity. Everybody knew Jesus, And there he is. Now let's look at this just a little bit more in detail. So he's riding into the city on a donkey. This is not what a conquering king at that time would have used to come into the capital city. Conquering kings didn't ride donkeys. It just wasn't done. especially if the idea was that you're going to ride into the town and you're going to overthrow the Romans. Can you imagine what the Romans... You know, you've you've got a Roman soldier going, oh, so this is the guy that's going to overthrow us? He's on a donkey? Whoopee! Totally unimpressive. All by design. Jesus was fulfilling the plan. The details had to be perfect. The timing had to be perfect. And... There's a couple of reasons why I can say this was perfect in the time. One of those we find in Matthew 21, uh, verse 4 and 5. This took place, meaning this event that Jesus is going through, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." Hundreds of years before this event happened, God, because he's in control, had Zechariah prophesy this perfectly timed event. It's a quote from Zechariah 9.9. Jesus had chosen to perfectly act out this prophecy. He is stating in this event, I am the king. I am the king that Zechariah prophesied would come. I'm him. And any of those Jews that were remembering their their training and their upbringing would have put those two things together. And this is the first time. This is the first time in Jesus' earthly life where he says, It's okay to celebrate that I'm your king. Jesus allows the people to praise him as king. So many times in the Gospels you see where where Jesus tells his disciples and others not to tell anyone who he was. And the reason is always the same. It was not the right time. Today it's the right time. Jesus is setting up the coming events. Perfect timing. Now there's another fascinating aspect of this timing of the triumphal entry it's very tied into judaism from john's gospel we know that jesus was in bethany six days before passover that's the big event that's why everybody's partying this is the whole thing it's all about passover six days before passover jesus is in bethany And this is also where we find one of the most beautiful examples of worship in existence. You remember? John 12. Six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of jesus and wiped his feet with her hair the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume this is one of if not the greatest example of just plain pure worship in scripture this woman She takes nard, which was extremely expensive. A pound would have cost the equivalent of a year's wages. And we know from the other Gospels that that Mary, Mary pours this on his head, his body, and his feet, and then she wipes his feet with her hair. This is unheard of. Women didn't do this. This was completely unheard of. Mary is doing culturally the unthinkable in her worship. And Jesus says, basically, let her do it. Judas, of course, is obsessed with how expensive the nard is. And Matthew also tells us that she was preparing his body for burial. This is worship. So that's what's going on in Bethany. Six days before the Passover. Now this is important, the six days, because there's an event that's tied to the law that helps us understand why this is so incredible. Exodus 12.3 A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. This is what's happening. Passover. The most important of all Jewish events. Passover. This was always celebrated on Nisan fifteen. Nisan is the first month of the Jewish calendar. And Nisan 15 falls on somewhere in March or April in our Gregorian calendars. So that's why Easter, you know, is all over the place. And we never really know. We have to, what? Nisan 15. It's always on that day. That's Passover. Well, for Passover, the law required that a one-year-old lamb was chosen on the 10th of Nissen, had to be on that day. Perfect timing. The lamb would be with the family for the next four days. And, and I read something, um, actually I read this just day before yesterday. Very often they would bring that lamb into the house and that would become like a really dear pet for those days. It was like part of the family. And then it was to be slaughtered just before sundown. Sound familiar? To help us with the timing of these things, remember that the Hebrew day begins at twilight. In Egypt, when Passover began, the blood was placed onto the doorposts and lentils. Then during the night, the Lord passed over the houses marked with blood. The homes not marked with blood were judged, and all the firstborn in those homes were killed. The timing is amazing. Here's Jesus. He's in Bethany. He comes to Bethany. He's in Bethany on Nisan 9. The next day would have been Nisan 10. What's he doing on Nisan 10? He's coming into Jerusalem. The day the lambs were chosen the day the unblemished lamb would be brought into the Jewish home perfect timing around 1500 years after the first Passover Jesus enters Jerusalem as the Passover lamb of God on Nisan 10 God's plan, God's time The people shouting, Hosanna. They saw the king. They saw the king on a donkey. And I think that as we see things unfold, that many of them missed the significance of the Messiah. The perfect lamb, the perfect sacrificial lamb being brought into Jerusalem. Being prepared for sacrifice. Everything is unfolding as God designed. It's his perfect plan. There are, there are two things then that I think are important for us to remember that we celebrate. There's all kinds of things that we do on Palm Sunday. We've got palm branches and you know we, we celebrate. What are the two great things we celebrate? Well, first of all, we celebrate the coming of the king. That's, that's pretty obvious. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, his city. We, sub, we celebrate him as king. Second, we celebrate the choosing, the choosing of the Passover lamb. We are celebrating today that the sacrificial lamb. Was chosen. One lamb without blemish, set apart to be sacrificed for our sins. Jesus is riding into in Jerusalem. He knows the timing, He knows the precise moment of everything that needs to happen. And He also knows that He will perfectly complete the task. That he has come to fulfill. And he knows that he will be verbally abused. Spit upon. Viciously beaten. And crucified. He knows that. He knows those things are all going to happen at precisely the appropriate time. He knows as he's riding into Jerusalem. That he would take on all the sins of humanity. And feel the indescribable pain of God's wrath. Nothing could keep Jesus from accomplishing the work he would do on the cross. Nothing. Because it's God's perfect plan. As he wrote into Jerusalem, the human side of him would have been focused on, I've got to do this. Here's what I've got to do. He's riding into Jerusalem. And he's focused on what he must do. I can also imagine in that coming together of deity and man that he's going through this crowd and he goes, Oh, I know your sins. I will bear them on the cross. He saw the very people he came to save. Jesus didn't come to bring you prosperity and perfect happiness. He didn't come to give you whatever you desire. He came to confront our sinful nature. He came as the only perfect sacrifice to cleanse us from the punishment of sin and rescue us from death and hell. That's what he's doing. He came at the perfect time And he came with every detail perfectly in place. Perfect time, perfect place. There's another event that we're told of in scripture that we as believers look forward to that will also come at exactly the perfect time. Jesus will return. Perfect time. Perfect details. And Jesus will not be riding a donkey. Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you that you are so fabulously... Marvelously in control. May we put more and more of our trust in you. May we celebrate every day the greatness of who you are and what you've done. Holy Spirit, remind us of the price that was paid so that we would not experience the wrath of God. And help us this day to celebrate. The Lord God Almighty, Savior of the universe. Thank you, Jesus. We look forward to your return. Amen.